Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program, or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, We want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is His name. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life and intercessory prayer for the needs of the church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. I'm delighted to introduce our speaker today, Elise O'Kane. She's a wife, mother, and teacher, and Catholic singer and songwriter. She has used her musical talents to lead liturgical music groups and has been music ministry chairwoman for the Joyful Visitation Magnificat chapter in Atlanta. Currently, she is serving as a Southeast Regional team member. In 1991, she wrote a joyous melody to Mary's Magnificat, which has become the theme song for the Magnificat ministry. Her friends encouraged her to record the many songs she composed But because of her fears of inadequacy, she was reluctant. But with the love and support of her prayer community, she received the courage to record her first CD. Her testimony will tell how God prepared her for this ministry through a number of personal challenges, 
which allowed her to experience the love of Jesus and his healing power. Through it all, she learned how God can and will do extraordinary things with ordinary people. All he needs is our fiat, our yes. I am already incredibly overwhelmed. I am humbled to be in the presence of such beautiful and holy women. This Magnificat ministry is very, very close to my heart. It's so special, I think, to be able to gather with other women. And I think that he's given us to one another as a gift. He has given us an empathy and an ability to relate to one another's lives. And even though we're all different in our backgrounds, in our education, in our jobs, in our weaknesses and strengths, our hearts are very much the same. And this ministry of Magnificat has grown so much. I don't know if if some of you are even aware, some of the new Comers, that there are over 76 established chapters in the U.S. of Magnificat. Three chapters in Poland, chapters in Canada, Malta, the West Indies, the Virgin Islands, and Uganda, Africa. There are 15 chapters in formation, including one in Ireland. Magnificat began with a few women in a prayer group, asking God to help them discern what he wants. And look at the fruit of that prayer. This, my sisters, is what happens when women pray. We are a powerful spiritual force. God has a special plan for each one of us, a plan that was in his mind before we were even born, a plan that has something to do with building up the kingdom of God. I'd like to read to you an excerpt from the wisdom of our beloved Pope John Paul II, now blessed Pope John Paul, in his letter to women that he wrote in 1995, he said, emphasis should be placed on the genius of women, not only by considering great and famous women of the past or present, but also those ordinary women who reveal the gift of their womanhood by placing themselves at the service of others in their everyday lives. For in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. Perhaps more than men, women acknowledge the person because they see persons with their hearts. Don't you love how he refers to the genius of women? What an encouragement that is. And you know, we as women need encouragement because we are almost constantly at the service of others. We give, and then we give some more. It's kind of part of who we are. But sometimes we find ourselves exhausted and spent, and we have to be on guard when that happens. We have to recognize the symptoms of that kind of weariness. So we have to look for ways to be filled up with His Spirit, to be refreshed and renewed and able to go out again and fulfill the vocation to which we've been called. So I like to think of today as sort of a filling station. We're getting filled up with the Spirit. And I pray that you have already been filled up and experienced God's love. And I pray that my words to you this morning will be an encouragement. And even though every person's story is unique, some of what I say perhaps will be similar to what your story is. Because you know, we all 
we all have a story, don't we? And in preparing for this talk, you know, I started to think, well, what does it mean to give a personal Magnificat? And I thought about the canticle found in the Gospel of Luke and the woman who spoke it. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Mary. What example did she give to us as she spoke her Magnificat? Sang, maybe. I think she sang it. First, she had to utter that one word that changed the history of mankind. She said yes to God. She gave the ultimate surrender of her life, not, not knowing what that was going to mean for her. Then, not thinking of her own needs and concerns, she went to serve her cousin Elizabeth. She was, in her own words, a lowly handmaid. Finally, she maintained an attitude of praise and thanks to God in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. God chose Mary, and she said yes to bring the Savior into the world. And God has chosen us also. I believe that he has called each one of us to be Christ-bearers, to carry Jesus in our hearts wherever we go and bring him to a very broken world. As strange as it might sound, God needs us, lowly handmaids, to be willing servants, ready to say yes when he calls our name, willing to surrender our will to his will, and to have hearts full of gratitude no matter what we are going through in our lives. My talk this morning is really about the word yes, but it's not only about my yes, my story is also about how the yes of others deeply impacted my life. We would all like for our lives to be simple, uncomplicated, pain-free, worry-free, fun. Now think of Mary. Think of the lives of the saints. Think of your own lives. All of us have had to carry crosses, some very heavy ones, but I believe, and I know you do too, God's promise found in Romans chapter 8 that says, all things, not some things, not a few things, all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I believe that he uses our sufferings to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. So my sisters, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it is, our motto must be an echo of Mary's words. Yes, let it be done to me as you say. You know, I'm always kind of surprised when I'm asked to speak because I'm, I'm an ordinary woman. I, I've been married for 40 years to my amazing husband, John, and the mother of three sons and two beautiful daughters in love. And I'm a reading teacher at a Catholic school in the Atlanta area. And I'm so grateful to God for the way he is has used that vocation to draw me closer to him. But about 20 years ago, something extraordinary happened to me. Seemingly out of nowhere, I began to compose music. And I guess people are, are curious as to how somebody with, with no formal music training could do this. And all I can say is God is full of surprises. He had been, been preparing me all along for this, and I just didn't know it. And he's so wise in not telling me what he's doing. Had he told me years ago that I would be writing and arranging music, recording a CD, and going to talk to in different cities about the great things he's doing in my life, 
I would have said, with all due respect, Lord, you have the wrong person. And I would have said, it's not possible. But of course, we all know that nothing is impossible for God. So he allowed me to go through a number of experiences in my life, times when I wandered away from the church, times when I didn't know where God could be found, times of great sorrow, times where I encountered his love and healing power in my Christian brothers and sisters, and time when his awesome presence in the Blessed Sacrament took my breath away. Only through these experiences could I write songs like, I am waiting for you, a new creation, and I love you, Lord Jesus. But taking those songs that were given to me privately in prayer, recording them, and making them public was probably one of the biggest surrenders that I've had to make. Because it was then that I had to face all of my fears, and there were a lot of fears. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of being humiliated, the fear of just not being good enough. I had to look all my insecurities in the face, the ones I had carried around for years, and completely trust God. My background is a very humble one. My mother and father were both immigrants from Italy. We didn't have much in the way of material possessions, but I never felt that we were lacking in anything. My parents were so thrilled to be living in America, the land of opportunity. And I think my dad's idea of being rich meant that his four daughters were healthy, well-educated, and that his wine cellar was (laughs) well-stocked. They were both wonderful people, caring, loving, generous, and very prayerful, most especially my mother. I was born to my parents late in their lives. It was a little embarrassing at times because as I was growing up, people thought they were my grandparents. They loved me so much, but if it's possible, I was loved and protected perhaps to a fault. I was the baby. Nobody ever let me forget it. My three sisters were a lot older than I was, and you know, God's plan was good. One mother, one father. Well, I had four mothers. Too many. I was told what to do all the time. But most of the decisions in my life were made for me, and my life was basically held under a microscope. They were all very, very strict. I guess because of a fear that maybe something bad was going to happen to me. So my activities as a child and teenager were very limited. They would have been content if I never left the confines of the house. Asking permission to do something caused a tremendous amount of anxiety for me. Just for as an example, when I was a senior in high school, I went to a small all-girls convent school, so you don't get any more overprotected than that. Uh, We were having our senior prom. It was a small class and there was going to be a breakfast afterwards, and a good friend of mine was having a breakfast after, but my curfew was midnight, and there was no moving my dad in that decision. It was going, you were home at midnight, and that was it, and I begged, please let me go. In fact, I think that the girl's parents were some distant relatives, but it was still, no, that was the end of it. So the class felt very sorry for me, and they decided to write a petition to my dad, so... They all signed their names and rolled it up in a little scroll with the school colors on the ribbons. And so I handed it to him, and he wasn't impressed (laughs) until he looked at the last signature, and he gave his permission. Thank you, Sister Mary Frederick. (laughs) So 
I, you know, I'd always wanted to be in theater, you know, I wanted to major in theater and, um, but that was not a good idea apparently. And, um, it was decided that I should be a teacher because that was the respectable thing for the daughter of immigrants to be was a teacher. My sisters were teachers and I was going to be a teacher. So even though I would vehemently protest uh, decisions that were made, my father had this way of raising one eyebrow, that that was my signal to, but anyway, I have to admit that my father really did know best. It took me a long time to be able to admit that. <laughs> when I was in college, I met and fell in love with a wonderful man who was smart, handsome, quiet, confident, and knew what he wanted to do in life. And he was very Irish. So we were different in a lot of ways, but somehow, you know, our differences complemented one another. And we were married two weeks after I graduated from college. So when John asked my dad for his hand, my hand in marriage, my father poured a toast and said, congratulations, now she's your worry. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So I went from uh, my parents' very protective home into a marriage with no wild and crazy European adventures to brag about, no living on my own, no time to find myself. Poor John. <laughs> he had a wife with a lot of fears, very insecure, lacked confidence, didn't know how to make a decision or a good cup of coffee, but I like to cook Italian food, so that canceled out a lot of negatives. <laughs> I really did love married life. He was such a supportive husband and very, very patient with me. And things were going really well. We had a, a beautiful son, Matthew, and we're expecting our second child when things started to fall apart. We were moving from, uh, from Cincinnati to Atlanta. And Cincinnati was my hometown, and John had a job change, and we were so excited. We were going to buy our first home. We were experiencing, you know, going to experience a new city. But I began to have serious problems in my pregnancy as soon as I arrived in Atlanta. I mean, as soon as I arrived in the plane. So I was wheeled off the plane and uh, had to go to the hospital immediately. was subsequently told that I had to have complete bed rest or I would lose our baby. The doctors were not hopeful at all that I would be able to carry the baby, but they said, give it a try, stay in bed, maybe you'll make it to six months, we'll see. But they didn't hold out much hope. And we were devastated because, you know, as you know, when you carry a child, even before you've met that baby, you love that baby. So we were, we were totally devastated. We were, the pregnancy was only four and a half months along and we knew we were facing some very hard times ahead. We were away from our families for the first time. We knew no one. John had a brand new job. We had a two-year-old to care for, and I was on complete bed rest. Our safe little secure world was unraveling. We were both frightened about what was to come, but what happened next was the awakening of our spiritual eyes. You see, while both of us had been immersed in our Catholic Catholic faith growing up, we had eventually fallen asleep at the faith wheel. We had only been going to Mass when it was convenient, and our prayer life was really next to nothing. We were in our own world, and there was not a whole lot of room for God there. And it's not like we consciously rejected God. We believed in God, but going to church was just not a priority. 
When our first son was about two years old, we were feeling a pull to get back into our faith, but the move interrupted that. Now we were in a new city, under terrible stress, and needed something, someone to help us. Our parents were too elderly to come, and our siblings had their own children and jobs. Everything seemed to be crashing down around us. Out of desperation, after calling a lot of social service agencies looking for home child care, I had never left my son. We couldn't afford anything. So I phoned our new parish, and we hadn't even had the chance to attend yet. And I called and I cried, telling the secretary, I'm going to lose my baby if I don't get help. She said, well, I'll see what I can do. Within days of that conversation, all of these women came to our door, cleaned our home, cooked meals, and even took care of Matthew. This went on daily for two months. It was the most unbelievable thing I had ever seen. They didn't know me, yet they cared for me as if I were a member of their own family. During that time, as I lay in bed, afraid and wondering if I would lose my baby that day, I began to read all these spiritual books that these women brought over. Spiritual magazines, and they even brought me a Bible. So one day, I opened up that Bible, and it was utterly amazing. And I never forgot those scripture passages. I wanted to read a couple of them to you. It was in 1 Peter. It says, Do not be surprised, beloved, that a trial by fire is occurring in your midst. It is a test for you, but it should not catch you off guard. Rejoice instead in the measure you share in Christ's sufferings. And then I read in Philippians 4, Dismiss all anxiety from your minds. Present your needs to God in every form of prayer and in petitions full of gratitude. I had no idea that the scriptures written so long ago could be so relevant to my present situation. How, after years of Catholic education, could I have not realized the wealth between those pages? I began reading more and more, and I would write down the scriptures as they touched my heart. And whenever I would get discouraged, I would read them over again. So after being in bed for about two months, I got a phone call. And the woman on the other end of the line said her name was Connie. She said that she was from our church. She had heard about my situation. She said, I'd, I'd like to come over. Would that be okay? Connie was one of those ordinary women that blessed John Paul referred to in his letter. She was a housewife with five children of her own. She didn't come to clean, or cook, or babysit. She came to pray over me for a healing. God had been preparing me for that moment. Connie read from the Gospel of St. Mark about the woman with hemorrhage. And I really need to read this scripture passage. I know you've heard it many times, but it is so powerful. And still, to this day, 33 years later, impacts me so much. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She had suffered at the hands of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet she was not helped but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately, her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of her affliction. 
Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. My sisters, the power of those words, combined with Connie's faith, not mine, and her obedience to come, indeed healed my condition. I called my doctor. He's a wonderful Catholic physician. I said, something happened. Something is different. I told him about the prayer. He said, well, come in, let's take a look. And they did an ultrasound. Everything had moved into a normal position. Placenta, which was covering, totally covering the cervix, moved up and back. He said, you can get out of bed. You've been healed. You can resume your normal activities. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Many times, even to this day, I stop and ask myself, what would have happened if Connie or any of those other beautiful women hadn't obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to come and minister to me? What if they had worried about what I would think in their boldness in bringing me scripture and spiritual reading? What if there had been no prayer for healing? They never asked me if I went to church every Sunday. Or when was the last time I went to confession? It didn't matter. They simply lived their faith, and God himself did a mighty work. Their hands became his hands. Their encouraging words, his words. Their kindness became his way of allowing me to encounter him in a most personal and profound way. He used them to be instruments of his incredible and unconditional love. Their yes opened my eyes to seek God's love and mercy all around me. He had come to me in such a powerful way, and I would never be the same again. I guess most people don't need such a dramatic event to occur in order to encounter Christ in a personal way. But he knew my weaknesses and saw how I had been moving away from him little by little over the years. And sometimes God allows us to experience those difficult times because it's in those rough and dark places that we begin to search within our hearts. We see what's lacking and what's really important. And we begin to long for his peace and his joy and inner healing. We long for the presence of God in our lives. And that's what happened to me. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude to God for the healing that I had received that I, I wanted to give something back. You know, when somebody does something for you, you want to reciprocate. Love in Psalm 116, it says, How can I make a return to the Lord for all the good that he has done for me? Well, the first thing I did was I went to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And it had been a long, long time. And honestly, I was terrified at what the priest's reaction was going to be if he had heard how many years it had been or what I was going to confess. And you know what? He didn't bat an eyelash. 
Thank God for priests that are not surprised or shocked. And I know that we have priests in our parishes that are just like that, to be welcoming, to be so grateful that someone is coming back into the church. Well, that was just the beginning of the rediscovery of the treasures of my faith that I had forgotten. You know, our church has so many treasures when you think about it. We've, we've been given our Mama Mary, angels, the saints, the sacraments, and most importantly, we have the gift of His true presence in the Eucharist. Maybe you can't fully appreciate them until you've been away. I had gone to Catholic schools all my life, from kindergarten through my second year of college, but now it seemed as if I was understanding and appreciating my faith for the first time. My parish that I belonged to was a really thriving one. There were 3,500 families there and lots of activities to do and get involved in. By golly, I was going to do everything, you know. But first thing I started doing, I decided to choose the Life in the Spirit seminar. Connie had spoken to me about the power of the Holy Spirit, and I became very interested in the charismatic gifts because I was so eager to understand how a miraculous healing occurs. That's how God had gotten my attention. There was a hunger within me to receive all that God wanted to give me. You know, we seem to be so concerned about our bodies and eating the right foods and exercising to stay healthy, and that's, that is important, but our spirits have to be nourished and cared for too. We can't let our spirits go unfed, and mine was starving, and I didn't realize it until I started to taste and see how good it all was. Got immersed in the life of my parish, and it was kind of like my second home. The kids were always in tow. John was right there with me, and I, I thank God for that, that we were traveling this road together. And our home was being built on stone and, and not on sand any longer, and that was important because there were more storms to come. Our third child was on his way when it was discovered that I had a high-risk pregnancy. What had not been found before was that I had a very unusual blood type. I had both a positive and a negative factor, and this condition is considered one in a million. You know, my mom always told me I was one in a million, but I didn't think she was thinking this. So I was watched very carefully through the pregnancy, and everything was progressing normally. Our third son, Stephen Francis, was born, seemed to be fine. However, a week later, well, it, wasn't, it was about five days later, they found out that my red blood cells were destroying his red blood cells. And within the week, his blood count dropped so drastically and, and so rapidly that he was in critical condition, and we were rushed to the children's hospital for an immediate transfusion. And while we waited for what seemed like an eternity for the blood, priests from our parish immediately came to baptize our nearly lifeless baby. Then a steady stream of friends began to surround us to pray over our little baby for healing. These friends had become our family our faith family. And again, our Heavenly Father was showing His love for us through the body of Christ on earth. He wanted us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that He is real, that when you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. And when you knock, the doors are always open to you. After 12 long hours of waiting, the blood came, the transfusion began, Stevelyn's little body regained color and life, and we were able to go home the very next day. Through both of these healing experiences, my faith continued to grow. And because of this, prayers for healing became an ordinary event in our house. 
When the kids got sick, we immediately prayed over them. When my husband got sick, the kids and I prayed over him. You know, our homes are little domestic churches. And the scriptures tell us that when someone is sick, the elders of the church should pray over the one who is ill, and they will recover. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord was ever faithful and showed me over and over and over again that his healing power was always available to us whomever we asked. Even though we faced many difficult times, the death of my father and mother, the death of my mother and father-in-law, the death of one of my students, job insecurities, serious illnesses, depression, and financial difficulties, I learned that his love and mercy and grace are sufficient for enduring any trial. Our trust in God and the prayers of our faith family carried us through it all. Because I had such a hunger for God's word, I joined a weekly Bible study. And our teacher showed us the practical application of the word, you know, how to live the word in your daily life. And we were all young moms. We had our kids there with us, and and somehow we were able to piece by piece, understand how God wanted us to live our lives. After a few years of that, some of the ladies wanted to start praying the rosary. And I thought to myself, the rosary? That was something out of my distant past. I knew there were mysteries, and I didn't know what they were. And I was really skeptical, you see, because I had this really a secure relationship with the Lord. And now I thought, Mary's going to come in and complicate everything. So anyway, I, you know, I grew up with our Blessed Mother all around me, in my home and in my Catholic schools, but I had never developed a devotion to her. I just couldn't relate because she, she was so good, and she was so holy and so perfect, and I felt incredibly inferior to her because I was not good, not holy, not perfect. So I was, you know, I was a little unsure about the direction that the group was taking, but I, these women were important in my life and I decided to go along with it. But initially, my sisters, it was really painful because it was the slow recitation of the Hail Mary. And I, I thought I was going to climb the walls and being perfectly honest here. But my real problem was that I felt very unworthy to approach our mama. And while their rosary chains were all turning gold, I still belong to the Silver Club. (laughs) So as they devoutly prayed, I was thinking of things like what I needed to pick up from the store, and what are we going to have for dinner, and when is this going to end, things like that. But one time, my thoughts took me to another place totally unexpectedly. And as the women were praying their Hail Marys, in my mind's eye, I saw myself as a little girl sitting off to the side as other little girls played nearby. They were all dressed so beautifully and were so happy. I, on the other hand, had had on an old tattered dress and felt very alone. I had a sense of Our Lady being near, but I felt so ashamed of how I looked that I didn't want to raise my eyes to look at her, but I couldn't help but look up. And to my surprise, she was looking right at me with this incredible, beautiful, loving smile. She wasn't looking at the other girls. She had her eye on me, and I felt she wanted me near her. 
So I went and sat next, sat next to her. And no words were spoken, but I felt an immense love from her and realized it was a mother's love. And that was a pivotal moment for me spiritually. It wasn't an extraordinary vision. It was simply my mother Mary getting in touch with her long-lost daughter. In those precious moments, my mistaken idea of Mary being the untouchable, unapproachable, sinless woman changed into Mary, my loving mother, my friend. Whereas before I felt I had nothing in common with her, now I realized I had something wonderful that I did share with her. We were both moms. I loved my children so much, even when they were rebellious and disobedient. I always wanted to protect them encourage them, guide them, and point them in the right direction. Many times they turned a deaf ear to my voice and wanted to go their own way. They made mistakes, sometimes serious ones, but I never stopped loving them. I never gave up on them, and I realized that that's how Mary had always felt about me. Even though I couldn't relate to her all those years, she had always been there for me and always loved me. What happened next, I believe, was a natural progression. I made the decision to make a total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And this is the St. Louis de Montfort consecration. Sometimes it's called an entrustment. And Pope John Paul II, Blessed John Paul, made this uh, consecration frequently and encouraged it, encouraged the devotion. And you know, I wasn't completely sure what it meant to completely surrender my life to Jesus through Mary, to give God permission to do with my life whatever he desired. But I realized all he had done for me and presenting to him the gift of myself was a very small return. More than anything, I wanted to be used as an instrument in his hands. I wanted and needed the Lord to be in control of my life. And I said, yes. It was a timid yes, a fearful yes. I don't think God really cares about how we say it. So in 1990, I made the consecration in front of a large image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In July of 1991, one year almost to the day, something extraordinary happened. I was on vacation with my family, and I decided to go to Mass one morning. And on the way home from Mass, I began to sing. That's not an unusual thing. You know, we all like to sing in our car. I began to sing, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. For he has looked with kindness on his lowly handmaid. All ages will call me blessed. Well, I didn't realize what I was singing. I just kept singing it over and over. Windows were down. I'm having a great old time. And uh, I got back to the place where we were staying, turned off the car, and I thought, what was that? <laughs> Do I know that song? No, I don't think so. I really could not. And I sat there for the longest time, honestly, trying to figure out. And I thought, well, I don't really understand because it was a joyful Marian song. I had never heard one before. And I <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's just all of this was running through my head. I thought, well, you know, when Mary got the uh, 
you know, when the angel appeared to her and said, asked her if she would be the mother of the Messiah, and then she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and her cousin Elizabeth confirms it. You know, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It was, and she was, I think she was pretty joyful. And I think that then what came through her heart and through her lips was this joyful song of praise. So I thought, wow, that's really cool. So I thought, I wonder how I'm going to remember that. I'd never written anything ever, ever. Never even occurred to me that that could happen. So uh, I, I didn't have any way of writing it down. I didn't tell anybody about it. It was in my mind for seven months about and I would sing it, you know, and I started writing out the verses. Everything just flowed very, very easily. And, uh, I, you know, at this, about the same time, there was a small prayer group. Uh, we were uh, discerning about bringing the Magnificat to Atlanta, but I, I didn't put the Ministry of Magnificat with the Song Magnificat together. You know, it's just clueless. Until uh, I was asked to lead the music ministry for Magnificat. And I said, you know, I think I might have a song for you. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's how that song was born. And, and you know, it continues to be an amazing gift from the Holy Spirit. So then after that, you know, all these melodies and lyrics started feeling, filling my head. And a lot of it was coming during adoration time. And I thought, well, you know, that is just, you know, what it was my prayer life, really, you know. And I would go home and I'd sing it for John. And he said, you know, you've got a lot of songs there. I said, oh, you know, yeah. He's, he said, well, you need to record those. He said, uh, no, you really, you need to do that. I said, well, I don't, I don't even know how to write. I can write out a crude melody line because of my piano lessons when I was eight years old. And I learned how to read music so I could write out. I said, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I can't do that. He said, well, you need to be praying about that because you're supposed to do that. I said, well, that's really, this is my prayer life. And I... You know, of course, you know there's a lot of fear when you put something out for somebody else. This is my prayer life, and it's mine. He said, "It's not yours because when God gives you a gift, it's for the entire community." And you know, I I knew that that was was right, but I still didn't. I was doubting, so I was saying, "Lord, you know, if you really want this to happen, you're going to have to show me and bring somebody into my life." And ironically, the very first uh, speaker that Atlanta had for Magnificat was this incredible person named Mary Rogers, and she was a songwriter and a singer herself. In fact, she was the very first one to sing my Magnificat. Well, anyway, we had become, started to become friends over the years, and I had told her about my music, and she really liked it. And she said, what do you think you're supposed to do with it? I said, well, John thinks I should do a CD. And she said, well, would you like me to produce it for you? My sisters, I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew it was good, okay? <laughs> so, anyway, it was great fun. You know, we met together, and there was another fellow, a uh, wonderful, gifted man, Ed Baldick, and he helped write out the music and put in all the chords. I could hear everything in my head, all the instruments. I could hear the, the arrangement, everything in my head. Um, but, of course, I needed to use the rest of the body of Christ to help me out on that. And they were very, very generous in doing that. So we just had a great time doing that. Well, the day was set up to go into the studio, and they made the appointment. The studio said, we'll come in on December the 12th, which we know is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I thought, 
Okay, that's a good sign. So I walk into the studio, and there are professional musicians in there, and professional background singers, and sound engineers, my producer. What am I doing in here? And you see, all of the fears, all of the lies that I had believed about myself were coming back all at once. This is what filled my head at that moment as I'm looking at all these people. This is what I heard in my head. Who do you think you are? You record a CD? You think God is calling you? You're a nobody. You don't know anything about this. You are way out of your league. And you know, there's always a kernel of truth in between the lies. I was out of my league, but it was in the eyes of the world. And I was learning that God doesn't really care about that. So as I was struggling to understand how everything was going to come together, the prayer of my heart every day was that God would place his healing within each song. That was really important to me. He had given me the grace of healing during my difficult pregnancy, and I had seen his marvelous healing power so many times since. Perhaps now he could use me as an instrument of healing through my music. Because I had witnessed so many answered prayers, he had given me the gift of faith to believe that God can and will and desires to touch and heal his people. I didn't know if anybody would ever listen to that CD, but I prayed that whoever did would feel his peace, his love, and his healing power through it. So by the grace of God, I entered that studio every day, and some days it was harder than others. Insecurities would overwhelm me, and I would call up my friend and say, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a professional singer. And each time she would give me a, let me look at the scripture for the day, or she would give me an encouraging word. So one day when I was feeling overwhelmed, I sat in my car. It was freezing cold, even in Atlanta. They were waiting for me in the studio. I said, I don't know. I can't do it. I just can't. And she said, well, I haven't read my meditation. Let me go get it. And this is what it said. The Lord of hosts said, get on with the job and finish it. I said, it does not. And she continued, you have been listening long enough. Take courage and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Praise the Lord. And the scripture for the day was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise God. So with what seemed like a command, the project was completed. And I'm, I'm still amazed. It, I, I'm still in awe of how it all came about. I'm, I feel so detached from it. I listen to it myself and it ministers to me because it's like, that, that was definitely the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And, um, you know, some songs have been chosen for publication uh, by World Library. And in fact, just this last... Um, fall, Come Holy Spirit, um, was put into little booklet form and mailed out to all the music ministries all over the country. So it's just been an amazing kind of thing. So I thought this was all that God had, okay? That was 
yet, but some more songs started coming. And I don't know if another CD will happen, but I'm working towards that goal. And also the Lord has been leading me into an area of intercessory prayer and healing. 33 years ago, I received that miraculous healing through the touch of an ordinary woman. She was simply the instrument God had chosen. He asks us to be his hands and his feet and his voice. But we have to be willing to allow his spirit to use us. We, we have to say yes. And it's so hard sometimes. It might feel terribly frightening. You may think that you don't have what it takes. You're not prepared. And many times I still battle those same thoughts. But there's a great saying that says, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And as Christians, we are all called, all of us, in different ways to do a specific work for him. And that call requires a response. In order to say yes, though, we have to unconditionally surrender our lives to the Lord and trust him. And in order to trust him, we have to know who he is. And in order to know who he is, we have to spend time with him. And this is where the challenge lies, doesn't it, my sisters? Because we're all so, so busy with all the things going on in our lives that the temptation to push prayer time aside is always there. But we need those periods of solitude, those times alone with the Lord, so that we can hear his voice speaking to us. Those moments with him restore our energy and our vision of what God is inspiring us to do. What we give to others will drain us unless we allow ourselves to be replenished by him. And it's in those still places where he will speak, where he will guide and give peace to our souls. We must listen. And I want to encourage you today to take a look at how that tiny little word, yes, has impacted your life. Mary's yes, the yes of others in your life, and your own yes have brought you right here today. And sometimes, you know, it's painful to look back on your life and on your past, but I feel that it's important, and I encourage you to do so and see God's hand in all of your experiences, joyful and sorrowful, and see how God has used them for your good and the good of others. Today, Jesus is present with us, for he himself says, where two or more are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst of you. And I believe that our lady, our loving mother is here with all the saints. You know, the saints are our older brothers and sisters that have gone before us, and they're cheering us on, saying, you can do this. They want us to live fruitful lives just as they did. God has given you, each one of you, many gifts and the call to work alongside of him continues to go out. The call to minister may be within your own family. It may be taking care of your children or grandchildren and teaching them about God's love. It may be to sit with a sick family member or a neighbor or to bring them a smile and a word of encouragement. It may be with the people at your job to be a light that shines in the darkness. For Connie, it was to go to a total stranger in need. Like Mary, she carried the Holy Spirit within her and went to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. And that is what we are all called to do. 
think that the Magnificat, this beautiful prayer of the Church, is meant to be a prayer for all of us to embrace, to take hold of the joy that Mary had, even in the most difficult times, and declare the great things that God has done for us. Who has been a Connie in your life? Have you been like her for someone else? My life was changed by one person's response and obedience to the Lord. I love this famous quote from Teresa. St. Teresa of Avila says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassionately on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. We truly hope you have enjoyed the program today. And for more information or a copy of the broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, that's Magnificat Proclaims at P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. You can also call us toll-free at 800-500-4556, that's 800-500-4556, or 714-744-0336. In addition, if you'd like to know more about this beautiful Magnificat ministry, including a location of a chapter maybe in your area, please call us at 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-6279. Well, on behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross, inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat Proclaims the Greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in His peace.